Today is Sanctity of uh, Human Life Sunday. So we recognize that we recognize it every day, uh, but it is recognized today across churches that, that life begins at conception in a womb. And, and I think about, you know, even these two that we're looking at, eight, uh, uh, Jacob and Esau, how these guys were alive. They were at war in the womb, one catching the other one's heel. And John the Baptist, he's in the womb, right? Mary shows up, Jesus is in the womb, and, and he just leaps with joy inside of his mother Elizabeth. So we know where life is. So we, we need to be in prayer, uh, that one of the worst laws that was ever made in this country would be overturned for the glory of God. So, Father, with that, we, we come before you, and uh, we just want to bless you today. And we want to bless you, really, Lord, by opening up our hearts to you, and by you, really, just having free will to do what you have decreed for each one of our lives, Lord. We, we understand that our vapor right now, this thing we call life, is our opportunity. It's our opportunity to know you, to experience eternal life with you, and to accomplish the very purpose of why we were created by you. So we pray today that you'd help us along our way as we look at the book of Genesis today, God, that, that you would allow some things to be spoken from your word into our lives to accomplish that, what you've purposed, so that we, Father, could be all that we've been designed to be and be molded into the image of your wonderful Son. We bless you, Lord. You're the King of kings and you're the Lord of lords of our life. And I pray, Father, that that is the position not just that our mouths would decree you with, that our hearts would see you with, and that we would live underneath your loving leadership and lordship in our life. We bless you. I thank you for this family of believers here. I pray you'd meet their every need. And I pray you'd build them up today because you have ministry for us this week. And we want to be built up to seize the opportunities that you want to give us, Lord, for the purposes of eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 27, if I didn't tell you that. That's where we're going to be. We're more than halfway through the book of Genesis. And... You know, what we're going to see in this chapter, it's kind of sad because we're going to see the inner workings of this family. And, you know, God in his faithfulness to us, as we're looking at the book of Genesis here, he, he doesn't sugarcoat the characters of the Bible or the flaws that they had. And I think for us, it helps us to really connect and associate with them, but it also gives us uh, encouragement of the right direction. It also warns us and it, and it corrects us. So remember, you know, I've heard it said before that a smart man will learn from his own mistakes, but a wise man will learn from the mistakes of others. So there's a lot in here that we can learn from, a lot of wisdom that we can actually apply to our lives. So that's what we're looking at here. We're going to see some major family dysfunction. If you think that you, you come from a dysfunctional family, well, you're not alone. We see it here in the book of Genesis. But what I love about this is, you know, we've been studying the life of Abraham. Uh, we're kind of going off the scenes now with Isaac in this chapter. And, and we're going to see Jacob. We see that these people had major character flaws. And, and we see that as we're going through the book of Genesis. And it's a lot of things that we can learn from and glean from and even connect with. But, but here's the bottom line. You get to the book of Hebrews, right? And all three of these individuals are mentioned. And you know what you see in the book of Hebrews when it references their name? It doesn't reference one flaw. 
Because when you look at the book of Hebrews and you look back at their life, you've got to look through this bloodstained cross. And everything is forgiven and forgotten right there at the cross. So that's the beauty of it. The same thing that God does for your life and for my life. So if we look at this, we took off, or we left off in chapter 26 last week. We're picking up in chapter 27 this week. There's been about a 37-year time break between these two chapters, okay? Isaac at this time is almost 140. He's like 137 years old, all right? And he's going to end up dying at 180. Jacob and Esau, you know, sometimes our kindergarten books and, and our Sunday school books, you know, gives us kind of a false image. But actually, this event of these two individuals' lives, we're going to watch Jacob uh, deceive Esau again with his mother behind it, pushing it. They're about 77 years old, okay? They're 77 years old and they're still living home. <laughs> so, so that's what we see with, with these guys. I got the boot when I was 24. I thought I was doing good. 77. So, so we see here, verse 1 says, It came to pass that when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim, so that he could not see, he called Esau his eldest son. And he said unto him, My son, and he said, Behold, I am here. And he said, Behold now, I am old, I know not the day of my death. Okay, yeah, we don't know the day of our death. I agree with that. You know, he's, he's saying that, but I think he's getting probably a little discouraged, you know. He's about 140, you know, his eyes don't see that good anymore. It's, I don't know, I haven't enjoyed the aging process myself. I think about the things I used to be able to do, and now the things I can't do so much more, these things, I can't do anything without these darn things anymore, drive me nuts. Uh, but, but we don't know, but, but this is what he said, he doesn't know the, the day of his death. So I think he deems it near, but the reality is it's about 40 years away still. But with that, if you just even camp out on that thought, is we don't know the day of our death. And I think that's why we're called today to live life to the fullest, for the honor and the glory of God. You know, we don't know what's on tomorrow. James tells that our life is but a vapor, and we don't know when it's going to end. The important thing is, is how, we're choo- how we're living it today and who we're choosing to live it for today. So we see that this is his mindset. He says, behold, now I'm old. I know not the day of my death. Now, therefore, take, I pray thee, thy weapons, quiver, thy bow, and go out to the field and take me some venison. So we know this, that, that Esau is a man's man, and it, it, he's like this portable grocery store for his father, and he's telling him, go out and get me some venison and make me savory meat such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless thee before I die. Okay? Very interesting thing here. Okay? He's having this private conversation with Esau, and he wants to bestow the blessing on him, even though he knows from what God told his wife, the blessing isn't going to go to him. So he's trying to do this behind the scenes on his own. But you know what he's got? He's got an eavesdropping wife. (laughs) His wife's behind the scenes, and she's peeking around the corner, and she's hearing this whole thing. But here's the bottom line, is God did not ordain the blessing to be upon Esau the older. He designed it to be upon Jacob the younger. And you look at that, and, and, and it kind of goes against what would happen in the traditional family of those days and in that culture. The birthright and the blessing would be upon the oldest one. But God has something that we don't have, and it's called foreknowledge, okay? And he knows the end from the beginning. And, and before he said, let there be light, and there was light, before he created the earth, he had this plan already in motion for Jacob and for Esau. And his choice was Jacob. 
And we don't know why, but God always knows the inner workings. And in the foreknowledge of God, that's what he decreed. The same thing happened. Remember the same thing happened with the greatest king of Israel? David, right? King Saul, all of a sudden, he's forfeiting his position and his anointing because he thought that it's okay now just to settle down and, and exercise partial obedience and what God's called my life to. And, and all of a sudden, God gets a hold of Samuel and he says, hey, you need to go anoint me another king. And, and, and when he goes, it says that he goes to the son of Jesse's house and David's oldest brother, man, Eliab, right? He comes out and, and, and it says that, uh, oh, let's see. Sorry, my page flipped. And it came to pass that he looked on Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed us before him. All right? So he thought the anointing was upon this guy. Why? Because he judged them outwardly. We serve a God that sees different. The exterior doesn't impress God. It's what's going on on the inside. That's what impresses God. That's the place where God wants to work. So he says, because I have refused him, for the Lord sees not as man sees, for man looks on the outward appearance but the Lord's looking on the heart. And there was something that God saw in the heart of Jacob. There was also something that God saw in the heart of Esau that caused God to choose the younger. And his dad knew it. Isaac knew it. Because God was clear when he spoke to Rebekah back in chapter 25 that the one would be stronger than the other and that the older would serve the younger. It's kind of out of balance, but it doesn't matter. God's free to do what he wants to do. So it says here that, and Rebekah heard when Isaac spoke to Esau, his eldest, and Esau went to the field to hunt for venison and to bring it. All right, so he's off on his, on his deer hunt. And Rebekah spake unto Jacob, her son, saying, Behold, I heard thy father speak unto Esau, thy brother, saying, Bring me venison and make me savory meat, that I may eat and bless thee before the Lord before my death. Now, now therefore, and when we're speaking about this blessing, okay, this was a blessing that the father would actually pass on um, to the child that he chose, usually the oldest. And, and it was like, it was legally binding, it was almost like a written contract. It was irrevocable. So that's, that's how important this blessing was. So it's not like, ah, oh, big deal, he blessed him. No, this was something very, very important. He goes, so she tells him, now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Okay? Now I'm going to tell you something that, that you've got to be very careful of, is, is you've got to be very careful of the voices that are speaking in your life. Okay? And I'm going to tell you, if one voice is speaking against the still small voice of God Almighty, you're called to listen to that still small voice. That one will never lead you astray. The other voices can. The other voices have and the other voices will, if they're contrary to the voice of God. So, he says here, she says, um, Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to which I command thee. Go now to the flock and fetch me from thee two good kids of the goats, and I will make the, them savory meat for thy father such as he loves. And thou shalt bring it to thy father that he may eat and that he may bless thee before his death. So we see the scheme taking place here. Okay, we see, we see really a mom kind of failing in her example to her son. He says, and thou shalt bring it to thy father that he may eat and that he may bless thee before his death. Apparently here we can see where Jacob got his character from, his deceitful character from, okay? Now, as we look at this, I think we need to remember as we, as we look at this that, that the people of God are called to be a people of truth. 
all right? And, and really, in our lives, any temptation to lie or deceive, I promise you this, the Holy Spirit will be there doing this to you when you try to go that direction. I promise you that. If you're born again, you have the spirit of truth that's been deposited into your life, and he guides you into all truth. He won't let you walk peacefully down the path of deception. So, I believe it's extremely important for us as God's people that we recognize that truth is a non-negotiable in our lives, right? Truth has to be a non-negotiable. That literally means that we're not open to modifying it, all right? God has decreed truth, and we have been called to yield ourselves to that truth. And that's part of how we are as light out in that world. That means that the people in this room here today that are saved, okay, if you're born again, if you're here today and you're saved, you should be the godliest person, you should have the greatest honesty and the most integrity in the, in the neighborhoods that you live in and the places that you work, because that's what God looks to do in our lives. He has put the spirit of truth in our lives, and he guides us into truth. So it's important for us that we model truth, that we model integrity, that we model honesty before the eyes of those that have been instructed or been entrusted to us. We have to remember here, just like we see in this home, this home's full of dysfunction because this home is full of compromise. We recognize that mom and dad showed partiality. Dad favored the man's man and mom's favored the lesser than the man's man, whatever. But there was a lot of things in this home. We see mom willing to deceive, willing to eavesdrop. Dad willing to go really against what God had decreed from heaven for his family. And now all of a sudden... That dysfunction has the ability to be alive and well and passed down into the next generation. I hope for us, I hope for us that, that we view truth as something extremely, extremely valuable in our lives. You know, you know what Proverbs tells us? It tells us to buy the truth. Buy the truth. What does that mean? Buying the truth is the price that we pay is willing to surrender to its authority because of who authored it, because we're really surrendered to the author of truth. So buy it and sell it not. What does that mean? That means that there's nothing out there that I'm willing to part with God's truth for because if I did, that means I'd be valuing something greater than him and what he has to say to me. So we buy the truth and we sell it not, the scripture tells us. One of the things that I think we need to remember, because, you know, in the ministry, we've, we've dealt with a lot over the years, we've tried to help a lot of people, but, but there really is a, there's a lot of lying in the days that we live in. There's a lot of manipulating in the days that we live in. There's a lot of deception in the days that we live in. And we don't have a lot of control about these end time characteristics that we're going to see in a narcissistic move of our culture. But we do have control making sure that that kind of failed character doesn't show up within the grounds of God's possession, my life and yours. I think we need to see these things the way that God sees things. You know God has a hate list? If you don't know that, you can find it in Proverbs chapter 6. And while we're on the, on the subject of lying, you know he, he's got... Proverbs 6 has seven things that God has on his hate list. And out of those seven things, one of them's a lying tongue and the other one's a false witness that speaks lies. God hates it. And, and, 
It's not like if you've lied, God, God doesn't hate you, but he hates the fact that you have no idea the repercussions and, and, and the problems that you're going to bring on your life because you're choosing to live in deception. Because what happens when we live in a deceptive way, like these individuals were really, this family did not have fellowship with one another because they weren't walking in the light together. We walk in a light together with the Lord. That's where we have fellowship. That's where we have true unity, a true unity, not a false exterior, but a true interior unity is when we walk in the truth together. You know, John says, I have no greater joy than here. All my children are walking together in the truth. That, that's what God wants for us. But we got to remember that these attributes, really, they're passed down. And we see it at work in mom and dad, and now we see them flowing into the lives of the next generation. But we have the ability to pass down good or bad character into the generation that God's entrusted into us in our own children. You know, I think about Paul when he wrote to the, the believers at Philippi. He wrote to that church. And you know what he said? He said this, the things that you learned, the things that you received, the things that you heard. He was a preacher. He could preach. So they learned from him. They received from him. They heard from him. But he says that also that you saw in me. These things do. Okay? These are the things that I want you to do. Deuteronomy 6 tells us, as parents, the way that we're called to raise our children, that we would be diligent to teach God's word and his instruction, his testimonies, his ways unto our children. We should teach them to them when we sit in our house, when we walk by the way, when we lie down at night, and when we rise up in the morning. What does that mean? That means that because our meditation is upon the Lord continually, that we share our, our mind meditation for their heart penetration. That's what we want to do. We want to be meditating on the Word of God day and night, just like the Psalm 1, godly individual who is blessed, and we want our mind meditation to be used to bring heart penetration to those that God has entrusted to us. We see, unfortunately, here Jacob's mom's leaving, leading him in the wrong direction. And you know the thing about Rebecca here is she knew the will of God, and she knew the word of God, but she wasn't doing it the way of God. And I think that's where we got to be very, very careful: is we need to make sure that God's will and God's word is carried out God's way. So what I mean by that is you cannot do the will of God in your life by stepping outside of the Word of God. You can't do the will of God by stepping outside of the Word of God. God's will is inside the Word of God. That's how He directs our lives. That's how He opens the door for our lives. So if you remember Uzzah, you know, David had called for the ark to be brought, right? And they brought the ark and they put it on a cart. They, put, they had wheels on the cart, you know, they're wheeling that thing into town. And, and the bottom line was, is that wasn't the way the ark was called to be carried. The ark was called to be carried with the stabs that went through the, the hooks in the cart and it was supposed to be carried by the priest. They didn't do it that way. So little by little, get away from doing things the way God tells us to do things. And, and, and all of a sudden, they're taking it, and there's, a, there's an individual by the name of Uzzah, and all of a sudden, they hit a pothole, you know? And what happens? The cart starts to tip. What does he do? You know, integrity of heart. Puts his hand up to stop it, right? The Lord smites him. Why? Because he stepped out of God's word and did something that he was not supposed to do. And all of a sudden, he paid the price for it. 
I think sometimes God has allowed things in the Bible like that to happen to shake us a little bit so that we would remember that when God says something, he means it. We serve a God, I don't know, Christianity these days, we serve a God that says what he means, it means what he says. That's why it's so important for you and I that we would know the truth of God's word and that we would make sure that, that our lives are in harmony with it for his honor and for his glory and even for our own good. So, the plan of deception's in motion. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, Esau, my brother's a hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. You know, so we already talked about that last week. Uh, my father, pre-adventure, will feel me and, and shall seem to me, and, and I, look at this, I shall seem to him as a deceiver. I, I'm really worried what my dad's going to think about me. Well, you ought to be real, more worried about who you really are. You know, he was more worried about his reputation to his father than the character of the individual that he was. I'm going to seem to him as a deceiver, and I shall bring a curse upon me and not a blessing. If you will, go to 2 Kings chapter 5 with me for a minute. This is a warning flare chapter, because every one of us has this weakness in our fallen nature to be a deceptive individual. The closer we are to Christ, the truer we are. The farther we get away from Christ, the more deceptive we can become. And I had you turn to 2 Kings chapter 5 for a reason, because I want you to remember this, and this is what we're going to see him here. He says this, he says, I shall seem to him as a deceiver, and I shall bring a curse upon me. I believe that Jacob knew a principle that we need to know, that deception has a great potential to bring a curse on us. So anytime you're playing with deception, you really have the opportunity to bring a curse on you. Remember, what did it shows up in the garden, right? As a serpent, deceives Eve. And what does God tell him? After all that took place, after that conversation took place, you're going to be cursed. Cursed the serpent, went on his belly. We're looking at an individual here, all right? Now, naming the leper had leprosy. You know, he was a Syrian general, and, and there was a little Israelite girl that told him about the prophet in Israel. So he goes to visit him, and, and, and the prophet tells him, you need to wash into Jordan seven times. And, and he's like, man, I got better rivers back home. And they're like, hey, listen, if he asked you something to do something real difficult, you would have done this simple. Just go, go wash into Jordan seven times. All of a sudden he comes out, he's got like baby skin again. All right. And then what does he want to do? He wants to reward Elisha. He's got garments. He's got gold and silver and everything. And he, no, this isn't a time, you know, I'm not charging for my ministry this is just God's hand that he wanted to do to you. But we got an individual by the name of Gehazi sitting there, all right? And, and, and he was Elisha's servant. And so Naaman rides off into town, and we pick up in verse 20. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, uh, he goes chasing after him. He said, Behold, my master has spared Naaman the Syrian and not receiving at his hand that which he brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him, and I'm going to take of him. Okay, so we got a little covetousness thing going on here in his heart. So he goes running after Naaman because, okay, Elisha, you might turn away all those riches, but I'm going after him. 
So Gehazi, verse 21, followed after Naaman, and when Naaman saw him running after him, he lighted off his chariot to meet him and said, is all well? And he said, all is well. He said, my master has sent me. Deception, all right, misrepresentation. Saying, behold, even now there be come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garments. And Naaman said, be content, take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two challenges of garment and laid them upon two of his servants and they bare them before him. And when he came to the tower, he took them from their hands and bestowed them in the house and let the men go and they departed. And he went in and he stood before his master and Elijah said unto him, Where you been, Gehazi? And he said, Nowhere. And he said unto him, Want not my heart with thee? When the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee, is it a time to receive money and to receive garments in olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen, men servants and maid servants? So we see he deceives Naaman, right? Makes up a lie, comes back, deceives his master. Elijah lies to him. I didn't go anywhere. And, and look at this. The leprosy therefore of Naaman shall cleave unto thee and unto thy seed forever. And he went from the presence of a leper white as snow. Never. Never would have had those consequences in his life if he would have kept himself in the truth and not chosen to walk in deception. We can't underestimate the power of the trouble we can bring upon ourselves if we're not walking in truth. That's what this chapter screams to us. You can go back to Genesis with me. And his mother, verse 13, his mother said unto him, Upon me be thy curse, my son. Only obey my voice and go fetch me them. I mean, this is simple counsel, but I hope this is counsel everybody knows. That if somebody tr- tells you to do something that is against the Word of God, you choose the Word of God 100 times out of 100. You never go against the counsel of God's Word. So she says, obey my voice. You know what the Bible tells us in John chapter 10, that we're she- his sheep, we hear his voice, we follow him. There'll be a lot of voices speaking into your life. You've got to have discernment. You can line up with the ones that line up with the word. So, and he went and fetched and brought them to his mother. And his mother made savory meat, savory meat as his father loved. And Rebekah took goodly raiment of her eldest son Esau. So now she's raiding his wardrobe, which were with her in the house, and put them upon Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins, the, the kids of the goats, upon his hands and upon the smooth of his neck. And, and she gave the savory meat and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. And he came to his father, and he said, My father, and he said, Here I am. He says, Who art thou, my son? You know what we see here? We see these individuals. They made a costume. Okay, They made up a costume to impersonate somebody that he truly wasn't. Jesus told us that there would be impersonators and impostors. And we're to beware. He said that the church really is a target for wolves and they want to come. They come in in sheep's clothing and they look to devour God's people. And we need to beware. We live in a day where it's so essential that you're asking God for discernment. The discernment of the Spirit to know what's of God and what isn't of God. Who's of God and really who isn't of God. We see Jesus. You know, the word hypocrisy is, means one, to wear the, one who wears the mask. That's what it means. <laughs> Everybody's wearing them, right? Well, except you guys. 
<laughs> but, but, you know, that's what it means. It's a play actor. One, literally, who, who wears a mask. That's what it means. And, and Jesus rebuked, spent a whole chapter, Matthew 23. If you read that, man, he just went off. He didn't go off on prostitutes. He didn't go off on crooked tax collectors or, or, or individuals. He went off on people who were imposters, who said they represented God, and they didn't. They dressed up on the outside. They were frauds on the inside. He called them whitewashed sepulchers. He told them they were twice the child of hell that other people were. I mean, Jesus just went off on it. Why? Because it really bothered him that people would make up costumes for themselves, impersonate something outwardly, they weren't inwardly. That's why it's so important for us that we are sincere, that we're genuine, that we're transparent. That's who God's asked us to be, to put on a show for anybody. God sorts everyone out in the end. The big thing is, is for you and I to make sure that we are in the faith. He came to his father and he said, My father, here am I. Who art thou, my son? And Jacob said unto his father, I'm Esau. I don't know, man. Your kids can do a lot to you. You probably know this, but when you catch them lying to you, man, that knife goes into the heart deeper for some reason. At least it does for me. And I know as a father, you know, if it hurts to hear a lie from one of my children, how much must it hurt my father if I choose anything that's deceptive? What's it do to his heart? So we see here, he lies to his dad. He says, I'm Esau, thy firstborn. I've done according as you biddest me. Arise, I pray thee. Sit and eat of my venison, that my soul may bless thee. And Isaac said unto his son, How is it thou found it so quickly? My son. And he said, Because the Lord thy God hath brought it to me. Now he uses his deception. He makes it spiritual and he reels God into it. You know what that's a picture of? That's a picture of violating the commandment that we know that thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. That's what they did, he did here. He took the Lord's name in vain. What does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain? It means to assign the holy character of God to something that's unholy. Taking the Lord's name in vain, yeah. Yeah, if you take it as a curse word, absolutely. But I think even more importantly here, it's attaching his name to something contrary to his character. Attaching his name to something contrary to his character. People are willing to use God for their own agenda because they have no fear of God. And maybe you know those people. We live in a day where people are spiritual, but they're not biblical. A lot of people could be spiritual. they got the Christianese, but it doesn't line up with the Scripture. You've probably met those people before, right? The Lord shows them where to go that day, what, what store to shop at, what time to take a shower and everything. I was like, whoa, you're holy, man. You, God's got you right on a time clock. Met those people over the years, but you got to be careful with them. Because like him here, it wasn't what you see. And Isaac said unto Jacob, come near, I pray thee, that I may feel thee, my son, whether thou be my very son Esau or not. Here's a picture that if we're going to lean on our feelings what we feel to decide truth. Our feelings can deceive us because Jacob's going to deceive Isaac. Our emotions and feelings have the ability to deceive us, to lead us in the wrong direction. That's why it's so important that we know that no matter what situation we find in our lives, that the Word of God is our navigational system. That's what we need. We need the Word of God. 
And Jacob went near unto Isaac his father, and he felt him, and he said, The voice is Jacob's, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he discerned him not. He discerned him not. Because his hands were hairy as his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, Art thou my very son Esau? And he said, I am. So he just keeps lying to his dad. I mean, where's the conviction here? You know, I, this is something true, true, but it's something that I think it's so important for us that, that we need to remember that in relationships, whether it's the ones we have in our home, whether it's the ones we have here at church or, or your family, that truth is a trust builder and lie is a trust breaker. And trust is something very valuable that you want to you protect. It's very sacred in a relationship. And if it's broken, if it's violated, it takes a long, long, long time to rebuild. And he said, bring it near to me, and I will eat of my son's venison, and my soul may bless thee. And he brought it near to him, and he did eat. And he brought him wine, and he drank. And his father Isaac said, come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him. And he smelled the smell of his raiment and blessed him and said, see the smell of my son. See, they were deceiving all his senses, right? His taste, his smell, his feeling, touch. Our senses can deceive us. What we see, what we hear. We live in a day where Jesus told us that before he returned, that spiritual deception would be at all-time high. And it's very important for us that John tells us, and you remember John, he hung out with Judas. Nobody recognized Judas. He said, we got to test the spirits. That the word of God is always the litmus test of what the truth is. Therefore, God, give thee the dew of heaven, the fatness of the earth, plenty of corn, and wine. So a future, he's pronouncing a future of blessing upon him. Let people serve thee. Nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren. Let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. Cursed be everyone that curseth thee, and blessed be he that blesseth thee. He, he, he blesses him with prosperity and protection in this blessing. And it came to pass, as soon as Isaac had made an end of the blessing, Jacob Jacob was yet scarce gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, and Esau's brother came in from hunting. And, and he also had savory meat, and he brought it to his father and said unto his father, Let thy father arise and eat thy son's venison, that thy soul may bless me. And Isaac his father said unto him, Who are you? And he said, I'm thy son, thy firstborn Esau. And Isaac trembled very exceedingly. And he said, Who? Where is he that hath taken venison and brought it to me? And I've eaten all before and cameth and blessed him. Yea, and he shall be blessed." See, that blessed was established. It couldn't be taken away. Like I said, it's a verbal, oral blessing. <coughs> it's irrevocable. Same as a written binding contract. And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with a great and exceedingly bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. And he said, Thy brother came in with subtly and, and have taken away thy blessing. And he said, is this not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me two times. He took away my birthright. And behold, now he's taken away my blessing. And he said, hast thou not reserved a blessing for me? Now, the first thing is, he didn't take away his birthright. He chose to give it to him. That was his choice. He made him the opportunity, but that was his choice. And Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him thy lord, and all his brethren have I given him for thy servants. With the corn and wine I sustain him, and what shall I do now unto thee, my son? And Esau said to his father, Hast thou one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, father. And Esau lifted up his voice, and he wept. Hebrews tells us that he forfeited his blessing, even though he sought it with repentance. 
okay? He was broken over the fact that he lost the blessing. He was broken over the material. This individual had no concern for spiritual things at all. None at all. And God knew that, okay? He despised his birthright. He sold it away. Hebrews tells us that he was a profane and a fornicator. I mean, he married the women that he wasn't supposed to marry, did what he wanted. God's word, God's authority over his life meant nothing. I'm going to live life my way. I'm going to do it my way. It was a eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow I die. It's about the pleasure and the treasures of this life. That's what I care about. And God knew that about him. That's why God couldn't use this individual. He had to use Jacob. So he blesses him where they'll end up being nomads in, in the wilderness lands. It says, By the sword shalt thou live, and thou shalt serve thy brother, and it shall come to pass that when thou shalt have dominion, thou shalt break his, his yoke from your neck. And Esau hated Jacob. He hated Jacob because of the blessings wherein his father hath blessed him. I'm going to tell you what, as a believer, you're going to be wronged in life. I can promise you that. You're going to be wronged in life. People might deceive you, willingly do something to hurt you. And it's in those times when you're wrong, so wrong, when you get to see what you're made of. Esau here fills his heart with hatred for Jacob. And at this time, wanted to murder him. Hate. Don't go that way. Was anyone more wronged by the authorities, by the followers, and by even us than the injustice that Jesus Christ was treated with. And yet, a proclamation from a bloody cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, issuing forgiveness to people who hadn't even asked him for it. The way of Esau is to hate those who have wronged you. <coughs> the way of Jesus is to forgive those that have wronged you. And Esau said with his heart, The days of my mourning for my father at hand, then I will slay my brother. And these words of Esau, her elder son, were told to Rebekah, and she went and called Jacob, her younger son, and said unto him, Behold thy brother Esau is touching thee, doth comfort himself, purposing to kill you. Look what she says here. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. That went real good the first time. Obey my voice and arise. Flee thou to Laban, my brother, to Haran. Wait till he meets this guy. You ever hear the principle in the Bible that what you sow is what you're going to reap? <laughs> some reaping ahead with Uncle Laban. Be some reaping ahead also with the deceptions his own sons are going to bring into his life. But here's Rebecca, you know. And the, and the thing is, you know, we don't always know the end from the beginning. This is what it says. And tarry with him a few days until thy brother's fury turns away. Just let your brother cool down. Then everything will go back to normal. It didn't go back to normal. Esau would cool down, but it would be a long, 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 long time. He would be with Laban, deceived by him. He'd be there for 20 years. And you know what's so sad? They didn't even know it at this moment. He'd never see mom again. That was their last moment together. Until thy anger be turned away from thee, and he forget that which thou hast done to him. Then I will send and fetch thee from thence. Why should I be deprived also of you both in one day? And Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm weary of my life because of the daughters of Hath. If Jacob take a wife of the daughters of Hath, such as these are of the daughters of the land, what good shall my life do me? So we look at this, right? And, and, and we see that this was a family of great dysfunction. Amazing that God in His grace uses this family 
in the genealogy that brought the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And we, we look at things like this, and, you know, I think the things that we have to pull out from these things is really to ask ourselves, is, true, is truth truly a non-negotiable in my life? Or am I willing to bend it? Am I, am I willing to deceive? Am I, are the things that I'm speaking to my kids, are they true? Are the things I'm speaking to my parents, are they true? Or am I morphing into a liar? Because Satan's a liar and the father of all lies. Our father's the author of truth. Deception has the potential of the disintegration of the family. God's will must be done God's way or we will add needless problems to it. I mean, David knew it. Rebecca didn't know it. Jacob didn't know it. But you know what David did? David got anointed king and he trusted God. Well, if, you're gonna put, if, if I'm going to sit on that throne, you're putting me there. I'm not going to put myself there. 15 years being chased by this lunatic King Saul, right? Had opportunity to end it early. Didn't take the opportunity. Said, no. God has a will, but he also has a way. And I'm going to stay in his will and trust him to make the way. And then eventually we'll see in the, in the weeks to come that he's going to reap what he sows. A lot in there that we can apply to our personal lives. Stay in harmony with the Holy Spirit. He's the one that authored the word of truth. He's the spirit of truth, and he's going to guide our lives into the truth. Look, at if you came here today and you're like, wow, why did I come to hear that today? Because maybe there's something going on in your life and you think somebody called me to make this message up because they knew you were coming? That didn't happen. That was God saying, you know what? The gift that I give you is the gift of repentance. It's to look at it, own it, confess it, and turn from it. That you could save yourself so many needless problems and allow God to continue the good work that he's begun. So Father, we pray, Lord, that we would be able to really take into our lives some wisdom from these individuals. And even in this chapter, Lord, it's about really about what not to do. And we're thankful, God, that, that you're going to fulfill your purposes for our life, Lord, just as we walk with you. We don't have to manipulate. We don't have to deceive, trick, or be a heel catcher or a deceiver, God. All we've got to do is know that you're our good shepherd. Hear your voice. Follow you. Help us to keep it simple, God. I pray, Lord, that if there's any Jacob in us, Lord, that that you would forgive us and we bring these things before you because it's part of our fallen DNA. So thankful, Lord, that we don't have to be victims or slaves to that fallen nature that you have put your divine nature in us and that's the nature that we want our lives continually yielded to so i pray father that by your spirit that you'd anoint us lord to be a people of your truth who walk with your honesty your integrity being light in the darkness we have no control lord over to the deceptive days that we live in, Father, but we do know that we got total control of keeping it out of our heart. So help us to guard our hearts with all diligence, knowing that out of them flows the issues of life. We bless you. Thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as we uh, reflect on these things, you know, we see that, uh, you know, they prepared a costume uh, to impersonate something someone that he truly wasn't. And you've come here today, and it's good that you've come here today. But are you churched or are you saved? Is Jesus Christ really your Lord and Savior? Can you point to a time in your life when you decided to follow him? 
you're denying yourself, taking up your cross, and actually following Jesus? Because coming to church is great, but it doesn't mean that we're saved. Do you know you're saved? The Holy Spirit within you should bear witness. And if you have any question about that, we want to pray with you before you go, give you a Bible, and encourage you in a walk with Jesus. So you need prayer about anything, come on up. God bless you. Have a great day.